users of the internet were given in terms of like this self ownership in it um, and uh, making the user-centric applications going forward uh i i i think that the biggest thing what we gained over years is uh is this resist hi everybody welcome to voice of crypto's live session where we get some of the most esteemed interesting guests from the web3 crypto block and blockchain we have with us lasha and tadze the co-founder of Rarify Labs, a company at the forefront of advancing digital identity ownership and interoperability in the Web3 space. Lasha, your journey as a serial founder in the blockchain industry has been nothing short of remarkable. And today we want to delve a little bit deeper into the challenges of, the web th of Web3, Web2, and the promise of like Web3, as I mentioned. And the groundwork and the groundbreaking work being done by Rarify Labs to reshape like the digital identity landscape. So, Thank you. First of all, thanks for like having me and happy to discuss all the corners of so-called like Web3, starting from like digital identities, which is of course is our primary focus. But apart from that, I think like a lot of things are getting put together, and that's what creates this new web of ownership, right? That everyone mm. talks about. So happy to discuss. So you've had a long career in the Web3 space and I'm sure you've like witnessed a lot of ups and downs with the evolution of it. And I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on this, right? So maybe could you talk a bit about your journey into the space, uh, like how you entered it and how things have changed? Like as I mentioned evolving, but like how did the, how did the evolution kind of occur? Um, I started like to recall like most of my team members and the, especially the engineer side and my co-founder, we started the journey, I would say like more or less together. So they started a bit earlier by a uh, couple of months, but it was 2014-15 when we all began. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you sometimes like make a contrast, what was there, I would say I would divide. So from a te technical perspective, there's a huge difference because like, I would say like, even now everything is so on an early stage of development, right? So we see primitives of like innovative technology, this infrastructure is gaining a certain maturity, still like suffering lots of problems from a scaling perspective. Back then, um, I would say that like all these notions of like the scaling problem, it was, it was more like on paper, right? So we didn't really knew and have uh seeing what does the blockchain uh non able to trans uh, like throughput the all of the transactions meant and mm -hmm. now it's became a kind of tangible problem so a lot of the stuff that now are be have become infrastructurally and technically a challenge to be solved and we've seen so much solutions it was all theoretical back then so it was like chasing the problems that did not existed uh, mm -hmm. uh during that time but zooming out from the promise perspective, I think like not much has changed. It's so it's it's kind of resonates the same uh, promise that we were all given and users of the internet were given in terms of like this self ownership in it, um, and uh, making the user centric applications going forward. Uh, I I I think that the biggest thing what we gained over years is. Uh, 
is this resi resilience in, in terms of like this all ups and down i think like mm -hmm. now uh industry has become more mature so you get like this news going out like yes yeah, sometimes the hacks sometimes like the project shutting down some some someone like making this um, um i don't know like disappearance in the scene but and it it does have an impact of course it, it does uh in a way play the uh, play field uh, overall of the crypto but back in 15 for you to just like imagine even what like a one single happening and such news would have a drastic and dramatic effect on the prices and overall uh for the space but uh yeah hopefully like as we mature we will have like a better tools and what's most important right so the users and people who are like enthusiastic about like using those products they have become mature so there's like now more knowledge in terms of like how to avoid the specific scans or like the specific projects what is the evaluation criteria what is for mm -hmm. who are the quality team or not and uh this trend is uh going up and i think that's a positive difference from all those years Actually, I'd love to probably probe a little bit more about this in the way. So we did talk about evolution, but are is there anything that's kind of remained the same, essentially? Like has communities, more what I'm trying to ask, has communities kind of kept that same level of closeness to you, do you think, from like when it started out to how it's evolved now? So it depends. I, I think like what happened that these communities have become pretty diverse. And it has caused, uh, in a way, certain walls within the industry, you know, like there's like a certain type of believers, certain type of builders, certain verticals that now more or less are not inter um, intersecting each other, right? Back then, it was a very kind of like a small family type of gathering, right? So if the main theme was mostly about Bitcoin, it was about the kind of emergence of like, these concepts of like, I don't know, colored coins or like how to use this ledger for like record keeping different things. It, and it was just like early days of Ethereum, right? And the smart contract mm -hmm. process. So uh, that, right. uh, for, 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 for the listeners, just to get like the Ethereum white paper was published in 2014, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the first mainnet was launched in early 2015 if i'm not mistaken in summer so yeah. that's that's the period when we began our journey and we were i think we were like like everyone back then our expectations from a time perspective were were a bit like immature because i personally i believe that like this revolution is going to happen in like two three four maximum five years timeline and we're going to have a completely different landscape but um i guess it's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time because it's just like your expectations but in uh when you're a builder especially in like a technology or the startup world this type of naiveness is something that drives you so uh yeah, it's a good mix i i think from mm -hmm. so it's like, kind of like a yeah it's like a mix between the old and the newish type of thing right yeah, yeah. so I did uh, want to actually ask, and this kind of now does relate to that second question I asked you, because like, 
while I was uh, trying to talk about the evolution of how it is and still everything, I kind of want to now discuss the challenges of Web2 in regards to ident identity ownership, which Rarify is involved in. And like, could you elaborate on the issues users face in the current digital landscape? Yeah, I think as we, as we, as we, you enjoyed and we kind of like follow this evolutionary path, right? Of the crypto <laughs> yeah. stuff. I think it would be great if I dwell into an identity space from this evolutionary aspect as well. Because like even before there were blockchains and even before then there were this kind of distributed networks and the notion of the ownership within the digital realm, the direction or in terms of like identity, like digital identity and people being able to prove who they are behind the screens and being able to enter into agreements and all these, all these notions are like much older. So entire identity space has been going through like the phases and phases of explorations and expectations. And back then actually like prior to blockchains and I, I can like highlight that and um, that's something makes me more legitimate to talk about is that I was working with the governments in terms of like digital signatures so harmonization with the Ukrainian government back then uh, we were like cooperating and researching a lot the Estonian government incentives in terms of like digital e-residency and th that was a really like cool and amazing concept but those innovations were driven by uh, state. So this this is so-called like state innovations back then. And it, it has been a challenge, you know, like back then, what was the identity? I would say it was not that defined and we didn't really understood because of the maturity of the web itself, like the web too, what could be the part of the identity, like the attributes or the certain things that we are exclusively using within our digital interactions and digital uh, space. So back then, this entire talk about um, putting a civilian or a citizen or a resident into uh, being able to identify was all around the ability to sign, an ability to sign like contracts or enter into some kind of contractual agreements between different parties or the services on the internet. And this was, um, I would say, the way was quite big. So if you look at the kind of the, uh, the strategies of like early 2010s and the, especially on the state level, you had this kind of push even within the European Union to harmonize and standardize the digital signatures between the states that are issued by the different players. There was this kind of always 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 uh, like two sides you know the one are more mm -hmm. like state statist approach who 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 define your identity and the issuers and all the management under the state entities and like giving this full um, uh, power and rights to those institutions and on the other hand you had like the uh players from the private sector such as like the mobile like network and mobile uh, services or even the banks who came up with this notion of like bank ID or the mobile ID. So these were all the, the, the different text and stacks and builders over time. But what happened is that we did create uh, 
overall, this digital presence and ability to verify yourself for certain services. But Web2 and identity space, in my opinion, it got like that it got fragmented. So you had like all these different players, including state and private companies, and then like platforms creating those identities. But it's this where and now we still live in this kind of locked identity space. So if you are a user of one bank and you have an account there, if you want to like open up another bank account, right? You need to mm. redo the entire process of like verification or provide all those like biometric data. So it's kind of like replicates everything that you own, like, or you have from an identity perspective and stores into a, a different um, services, right? And uh, it has became quite the standard, which is like my, biometrics, my name, my, like all these data spread around in this locked up services and me just being as an add-on, if you know what I mean. So like mm -hmm. users becoming like a data point within this huge locked up systems, instead of me being the primary product within the digital realm and having those services interoperably interacting with me right so mm -hmm. this is this is this is a kind of a point where web 2 and identity space i think like missed the entire point of digit digital identity right and uh and and yeah the challenges were not only from overall this process management perspective but as well the, the technical wise so many of the technologies that exist now i think mm -hmm. like the available back then so certain aspects such as like privacy like mega important right so like how do you manage the privacy or like account management in a self-sovereign format so all these questions were like uh with a big question marks within the industry and of course when such kind of gaps exist the easiest answer is always either we give it to state or we centralize and then those services are the ones managing it instead of us and guaranteeing a certain type of security. Uh, is it essentially now, like private and public? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be the private or the public enterprises mm -hmm. that are currently owning our identity data and we have like basically no control over it, right? <laughs> and, and I think and uh, not only me, I think like every human who realizes that this is the format of our livings within the digital realm understands that this could be wrong, right? So this could be misused against us and this could be something that might compromise the wider things around us. So uh, we've seen, right? We've seen examples of it. So we've seen like the huge platforms leaking out the user data. We've seen mm -hmm. like the, like the third party services doing a special surveillance around our data and the identity aspects. And then we become the victims of our own existence, right? So it could be used for misinformation. It could be used for like uh, targeting specific groups or spreading the misaligned incentives across the board. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a quite an important problem, right? And now, especially like what what is what is like 
timing is always important, right? So in a way, certain problems always exist across the board, but then comes, I think, the time when those problems become like 100 times more feelable and like warning signs lit up all across the board, right? And I think like last year with the emergence of like generative AI and all this kind of automated bots and stuff, it kind of like, it kind of brought this problem of the identity aspect mm -hmm. and it just like became tangible when you can see your own face right built by ai and communicating or going through the process of kyc yeah. or even a video that is like completely deep fake right and suddenly mm -hmm. this problem became personal so from like a generalized group aspect of like corporations owning user data suddenly it became like oh my god somebody can put my face on a thing and it might create quite a problem so now 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 it's a kind of, i would say like this kind of inflating moment uh and uh that's how i guess we're going back to i would say like back to the future you know there is this notions like okay how can we abstract ourselves from this type of things and what is the architecture or technical solutions within the digital world that would put the users in hand and control right mm -hmm. and that's where this web3 and identity space and lots of like technology pieces i think come together and that's what we believe is defines now our times going forward and this is the moment when it's super important to go back and give people what they were promised from identity perspective. And I, I call it like this three pillars, right? It's about like mm -hmm. self-sovereign and ownership, which is guaranteed by self-sovereign identity standard and the blockchain and overall this technology. Then you have like this privacy aspect that like the selectively disclose whatever you uh, want to disclose with the service. Like for example, if you're like, if, if there is a service that requires you to prove that you're over 18, suddenly you can like generate zero knowledge proofs and just provide the proof that you're over 18 but never disclosing your true age right and mm -hmm. it can be like reused for different examples and third piece is of course that when you have this privacy and ownership aspect it's mega important like i mentioned to be able to port your identity right so like like i gave an example with the banks for you to be able to just plug out your identity from one service and being able to plug it in and don't have to even replicate this like crazy i, I was I, the, the same here right so i was like coming today i was coming to this place uh it's a co-working right and i i had to like fill in so many data so i was like filling in all the data about me besides that they had like so automated some parts of it so this won't happen in the future it's gonna be like one single plugin of your identity and disclosure of the information that I'm willing to disclose and I can receive any service all across the world in just one click. Mm -hmm. So so you actually did also answer a future question of mine, which how this kind of relates a little bit ahead with Web3 and how that kind of changes it, right? But yeah. now I kind of want to go into like specifically, could you ex also explain like why this is so important, digital identity and ownership, 
you did touch a bit onto it, but I wanted to know like how rare, Rarify Labs, uh, Rarimi, MetaMask, Snap contributes to this vision. Yeah, I think like what we did, especially with this MetaMask integration, right? That we recently did. So for that to give a more context, I should I should now explain like what is really happening within the space, if you allow me. Mm-hmm. So what, yes, like I like ahead. I said, yeah. So we had like the blockchains, which were like natively financial, right? So if if you look at the blockchain transactions, they're like all about the cryptocurrencies and they're all about this kind of like those type of financial transactions. But going forward, then we realized that on blockchains, they were like intrinsically social. So you have like these wallets, like humans, and in a way like identity primitives where you can like track down or build out the public profile of like someone based on those transactional issues. Uh, transactional things, right? And at certain point, now we're to break that, okay, identity should have a privacy and ownership, but blockchain for the specific, I would say like interoperability aspect, right? So that everybody is able to verify who you are. That That's, that's the kind of blockchain's role within this identity space. So now those two worlds of self-sovereign identity and blockchains, they're getting merged together. And one of the greatest implementations and early implementations was actually done by Polygon ID. They took all these bits and pieces from like privacy perspective, from like social and identity perspective, and they all put together. But I think from a user experience, what is was missing, and that's something that Rari MetaMask integration snap really solves, is that you ended up, you as a customer and the end user ended up with two different wallets of two different worlds. One that would store your identity credentials. So that's where you would store your age, your like, I don't know, like biometrics data, your proof of humanhood, whatever. And on the other hand, we had these crypto wallets, which were used for the transactions, the gas payments and interactions within the blockchain um, ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think like this was the moment when we realized and we built out like the different kind of proof of concepts and like amazing partnerships uh, while trying to streamline and simplify the user experience. And the idea was that what if we could allow a user to use the identity credentials and the crypto in the same environment? And of course, the best solution there is MetaMask because it has more than 100 million users. And I don't know any of the crypto user that doesn't have a MetaMask, right? So with our integration and this type of partnership, for the first time, we allow a user to store and manage crypto and the identity stuff all in one done who uh, under one hood. And what's most important that going forward so when a user will interact with any of the application built on any of the chain so you can seamlessly use identity and the crypto at the same time and i think like this is super important right so because like apart from all the theory why user needs and like this identity how it should be shaped you should we should definitely build out an easy experiences and the solutions that enables this kind of frictionless interactions across the web. And uh, 
and it was quite uh, it was it was I, I would say like it's it's an amazing kind of integration and flow uh and going forward we're just not going to leave it as a kind of a wallet that user can like just manage but we will we're pushing these kind of end-to-end -end flows you know in partnership with different partners mm -hmm. and now now we in a couple of weeks it's going to be like we're going to demonstrate at a scale how an end user for on a specific platforms are providing their identity and crypto transactions at the same time and uh getting this uh whatever it could be like reward access verification and etc right so i have two questions uh that i've already prepped kind of a type of thing but i kind of want to kind of amalgamate them into one question because they work so well together and also since you've already touched base on both they're both to do with blockchain social nature and proof of humanity so yeah you talk about like uh, blockchain technology that it is inherently social. And yeah. as well, um, you also mentioned that there's an urgent need for proof of humanity. Could you probably delve a little bit into both and how they both incidentally coincide? Yeah, I'm, I know that sometimes I'm covering like multiple aspects in a single question, but uh, I think like there's a lot to extend for those questions that yeah. you asked because what is important and if we kind of like talk about the proof of humanity aspect right that is exactly mm -hmm. what i was saying that how today's identity space is mm -hmm. different from the 10 years old identity space yeah if 10 years ago like i said it was all about some regulation it was all about the state driven like rec tech you know and the kind of enforced nature to identify yourself but in a today's real, and especially going forward, we're getting this digital existence that needs its own unique identifiers. So proof of humanity, there is no single place in a physical world where you need to prove, your, prove yourself as a human, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've been thinking about what, what is the kind of physical analogy where I prove my... Human. it's a very important um, aspect maybe that's going to become something very required since the mexico has pushed the, the couple of like alien videos i don't know if you've seen that but it could yeah something. yeah i saw that recently oh, was oh, reading the news but for now it's it's pretty unique for the digital realm and it, mm -hmm. it it was created and i think like there's an amazing concept behind the idea behind that that like as internet as we know proliferates with this ai bots and autonomous agents who act like human right it's not only act like human they can act like you as well at certain point right mm -hmm. so in a way making a distinction between an autonomous actor and your the real human behind it it, it became it becomes a necessary need i think like to prove your humanhood, especially in the realms when we have like this, I don't know, like mixed realities or metaverse coming up and especially in the gaming and open games and all that stuff. It is, it has, it is becoming a kind of a proof that you need to carry on with you everywhere within the digital realm. 
and and as we advance into those interactions, I think like more and more we will have this type of like very intrinsic digital identifiers that you only require within that environment, but not nothing that you will need to prove in your physical one. And mm -hmm. and our idea was that why not focus on those type of identifiers, those type of like future that has a necessary need to use that and just like in a way abstract from the KYC or like regulatory related environment, right? Because yeah, I believe that innovation will be driven in this first vertical, which is like natively digital and between the humans and all these necessary needs to identify. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and we build this aggregator, which means that like, we're just like putting all the services that prove your humanhood in different practices, but on the on the output, a user has an optionality. So whenever you want to use a certain service or engage a certain type of like contractual agreement or like have access to a specific environment within the metaverse, you can choose the service you want to verify your humanhood with, you will generate the zero knowledge proof. So nobody, even the service will not know through which flow you've identified your humanhood and uh, any additional data. And you just submit the zero knowledge proof and you granted an access. So I would say like it was by us in partnership with like greatest names i would say like starting from like worldcoin to civic to gitcoin passport to unstoppable domains we 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 did uh in a way pioneer the end the use case you know where it, we made we made this proof of humanhood a tangible thing because we had this campaign running within the decentraland where avatars needed to prove their humanhood that would go through this verification process at the end of the day they got a digital swag so it was a, it was a cool really cool environment experiment and it, it was really given a glimpse of how this will scale and how it will become a very must-have type of identifier within the digital realm so so that was that, that, that's what we did and i think like that's like mega important even for us and overall all the ecosystem builders on Rarimo in different forms, right? Whether they're building mm -hmm. an identity drink or like verification or like any type of like identity service. I think apart from all the promises that we deliver, so the technical aspects and all this kind of like ideology uh, within the identity space, it is mega important to collaborate and to show the end user this demonstration of how things and how the identity could be leveraged and what advantages it will give going forward. So I think that's what we did. Thanks to all the partners and all, all joint teams who collaborated on that. Mm -hmm. So to divert the questions a bit away now, I kind of want to ask about, you've recently attended Token 20, uh, 2049, a prominent blockchain event. Think you could share your key takeaways from the event, especially in the context of what we we're talking about in digital identity and Web three. 
Yeah, I would say like I'm always fascinated by Asia and overall the involvement, engagement and the different type of builders. I think it's an amazing part of the world, especially for the crypto. So I kind of reaffirmed, first of all, my beliefs of seeing all that, especially now where we are like maybe like uh, to the depths of the uh, beer market or maybe it's even going to go a bit lower, I don't know. It's not a prediction or like any financial advice, but overall, uh, I think like compared to where we are now from the market perspective and what was happening at Token 2049, uh, it's, it was amazing. So I love the teams, I love the enthusiasm. But I would say that still majority of the talk, it was, focused around the DeFi aspect. So I think, and of course we understand because this is now the primary driving force, right? Within the space. And that what brings most of the people in. And this is more or less a bit like upbuilt, upscaled and matured industry. So that, that makes quite a, quite a difference from that perspective. And uh, within the social identity space, I think that, um, it's in early stages because like people are talking about it they're exploring we have not seen quite the merge of this uh notions within the DeFi, as an example or like the certain uh certain implementations that have scaled at a larger uh at a large kind of verticals but but i think that everyone resonates and understands the need and uh, in a way consciously or unconsciously agrees that this is the next big thing coming and mm -hmm. if you ask me this social nature of the blockchains and interactions and ability to like capture this like all the social aspects between the humans, between the platforms and like all the kind of the solutions that gets built on top of the blockchain. At certain point, I might be, I might say now in kind of bold sentence, but I believe they, it's going to become much bigger than what we have within the DeFi space. Because DeFi, it's relatively financial aspect, while social, and identity it touches like every individual and every interaction including the financial worlds right and financial transactions so that's why we like and me personally like mega bullish in terms of like building out the social layer on top of the blockchains and really redefining and i, I like one one more thing i would add that like in most of the cases i'm i'm, I'm like very radical from <clears throat> the experience that I believe that this world and what we are building, it should be very native web three focused. So I don't believe that it will just substitute what we have in web two. I believe that it's a kind of parallel world on different beliefs and the notions that gets built, right? And uh, in a way, when I think about this identity aspect, I think like for going forward, it might be the first solution that gets ideologically built on the Web3 values, but it can transcend the uh, corners and borders of Web3 and uh, could be could be something 
really tangible product-wise taken out by the users into the Web2 world and used on a daily basis. So I don't know. Yeah, that's how enthusiastic and believing I am. <laughs> so finally, I also kind of want to explore the wider the wider trends in the digital identity space. So like, what do you see on the horizon and how do you envision Rarify Labs contributing to these developments? Yes. Uh, so what I see in a way and what, what is what, what's something you will spot on is that everyone now is building more or less the identity of a user in this or that form. And when I say this or that form, it has both like technical and social implications. So technical implications is that, okay, let me first say social implications is that like some are building the social graph, which is used across the board of like social applications or social media or different type of interactions. So social graph is more like your relationships to other agents or like friends or anyone else. And like based on your interests, something that gets accumulated based on your actions within the digital realm. Right. So this is a, this is a very important. And I mean, the, what teams across like, for example, like lens or the cyber connect or any others are doing, they're redefining this entire like social interaction by providing this fundamental infrastructure on social graph. So for me, this is as well, this one building block in this bigger picture of those social identity. Right. And on the other hand, you have more identity focused solutions that are used for like I mentioned like proof of humanity or like verifying the specific aspects or attributes of a user for this or that purposes, right? So this is a kind of another direction. And then you have this kind of third direction, which I'm not quite keen about and like enthusiast, which is more like a reg tech. So it's like a regulatory aspect on the user flow and the people that they need to comply for this and that you have to do the KYC of that. It's a bit like restrictive, but it is a vertical. So I can't deny it. its existence, right? <laughs> With, uh, what my attitude towards it, uh, it is. So that's what I see. So like everyone mm -hmm. is building some type of form of identity that will have its own utility and use it could be like fuse it could be like i don't know like interchangeably used but this is what happening overall and what we as a rarify labs are contributing towards this interoperability protocol rarimo right so the idea is that so seeing all these disparities from a technical perspective from like this kind of usage utility perspective and interactions perspective so we realized that not to fall in the pitfalls of the earlier problem that I explained with the identity space where you had this kind of fragmentation and like locked up services at the end of the day, right? So our primary focus is to contribute into this interoperability aspect. So it does not matter what standards, what type of like identity you're using to ease the output and the ability to interchangeably use and for the services to be able to verify and communicate. And, and at the end of the day, from a user perspective, to simplify this feeling of unplugged, like I mentioned, 
So a user being able to, does not matter where you form your identity or where you store the different attributes, to be able to manage to like, I don't know, pick up the certain things, like selectively disclose, use the zero knowledge proofs. But at the end of the day, at a larger scale, what RARIMO as a protocol is enabling is this portability aspect. So you can take your social graph from Facebook and plug it in into like, I don't know, another blockchain's uh, YouTube type of like application. And suddenly the entire world and entire digital world is like tailored to you and you're in control, you know? And I believe like what's coming next is that it, it's not only about interoperability aspect, but we need to like empower users from a monetization perspective. I think like it's mega important for this vision to be alive and come alive. And uh, there's a tons of challenge uh, within that, but I, I believe that at a certain point we'll be able to solve it and then it will become a very intrinsic and most required and demanded product by the end users across not only Web2, but Web3, but when I say transcendent to the Web2, to, to I think this, this is the aspect people will require going forward, because once you know the taste of stuff, you can't go back. So that was my final question, but, uh, and we, and I've learned quite a bit from all of this. And so, so of my viewers, so of my viewers, I'm sure, but are there any final thoughts before we wrap up? Is there anything that you'd like to say, anything that you wanted to say or mention, essentially anything that you probably wanted to impart on viewers? I would say and like what we, the uh, Rhymo, I would, I would happily invite everyone to join the social channels because uh, it's not only about what the builders are providing, but it is 10 times important, especially within the digital identity, social realm, right? What users give out as a feedback. So like early testing, using, getting this feedback is something that will accelerate the entire phase of upbuilding this layer 10 times, 100 times. And this is the biggest contribution that anyone can bring who believe in this type of freedom and empowerment of the user and your identity. So join us. <laughs> Thank you, Lasha, for joining us today and sharing your insights. On It was honestly such a wonderful learning experience from my end and I'm sure from everybody viewing as well. And thank you for also guiding us into that exciting world of Web3, digital ownership, and innovative work happening at Rarify Labs. Your expertise and experience, they're truly invaluable. Thank you, thank you. I enjoyed as well. And as you can see, as you saw, I was like just like <laughs> flooding with all these ideas and stuff. So really love that's, it. Thank you. That's perfect. That's how we kind of want to communicate it, right? It shouldn't be like any form of restrictive. And I'm glad that we all got to like see all of that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs>